Turkey Call All Access, the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation, brought to you by Tetra Hearing. Turkey Call All Access is a digital campfire where the host and guests discuss topics of the day, conservation efforts, tips and techniques to better your experience as a field, and to share our members' stories. Welcome in, everybody, to this new episode of the Turkey Call All Access podcast, the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation. This week, we're catching up with Scotty Lago, Olympic uh, medalist, snowboarder, whitetail deer tracker, turkey junkie. Looking forward to catching up with Scotty. We do all that in more 90 seconds. This is Jason Hart, co-founder of Nomad Outdoor, and I'm here to welcome you to the Turkey Call All Access podcast, hosted by my good buddy, Fred Bird. At Nomad, we're constantly innovating to keep you more effective in the field. Check out our new 2022 Nomad Turkey products, including our innovative bull lounger turkey vest, our new mesh-like pant, and our bino harness system designed with a turkey hunter in mind. Also, for you whitetail, waterfowl, and western big game hunters, keep a lookout for new products coming later this summer by Nomad. Nomad, gear that hunts. Picture this, the sky full of birds, a good dog by your blind, and the pinnacle of reliability in your hands. When the entire experience relies on the moment that trigger is pulled, your shotgun better be nothing less than perfect. Benelli's Super Black Eagle Three, dominate the skies. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. We are uh, in my home state still of New Hampshire, uh, lucky enough to know some folks locally, and we're joined by uh, Olympian, hunter, conservationist, Scotty Lago. Thanks for having us yeah. literally uh, in your home, in your living room. Of course. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm always happy to, to talk hunting, and uh, yeah, turkey season is upon us, and I'm, I'm fired up just, just as much as you are, I'm sure. Yeah, no, it's, it's great, and especially when you go through the slogs of winter uh, for most people you're ready to get to spring if you're a turkey hunter uh, you uh, may have a different outlook on that of uh, being a professional snowboarder and then having competed in the Olympic driving over here you know I thought I said man he might be one of the most interesting people I've ever interviewed or talked to right <laughs> with just the array of uh, experiences and, and life experiences you've had and, and seemingly a short amount of time of being on this earth right I mean Placing, placing the Olympics in 2010 um, and, uh, you know, a, a guy, a kid from New England goes out there on the world stage. And, and, and now that's um, tr it's, it's I've, I've watched you uh, via your socials grow into becoming uh, quite the conservationist. And, you know, what came first? Was it was it hunting? Was it snowboarding or they both kind of simultaneously? Well, grow? yeah, I mean, I started hunting at an early age. Yeah. Um, I started bow hunting uh, or actually i got my first doe when i was 10. Um, so i followed in my my father's footsteps he was a big deer hunter yeah. um, and my grandfather was a big deer hunter as well you know we grew up in the uh uh on a hay farm in, in seabrook new hampshire right on the seacoast 
bordering bordering uh, Massachusetts as well. Um, so yeah, hunting was a big part of my life, but you know, throughout the years, it just grew and grew into a stronger passion until here we are 34 years of age. And, you know, hunting is absolutely part of my life. You know, it's a huge passion of mine. I love it. I love nature. I love seeing how the animals work and it's kind of cool, you know, like hunting and, and just animals, animals in general are, are impressive, you know, to see the way they work and, uh, and the challenges that come with hunting is, you know, you'll never be satisfied. You know, yeah. how many times have you gone out there and had a perfect hunt? You know, it's like 99% of the time uh, you're striving for more. You know, you you kind of want more out of the hunt. And that's kind of what brings me back, you know, to learn something more, you know, try a different setup um, and just to go out. And it's, you know, hunting's peaceful. You know, it's enjoyable. I love going, putting on miles in the woods and exploring and uh, and getting to interact with animals and um yeah, so it's, you know, it's been a big part of my life since I've been, you know, a young kid. But uh, snowboarding took, you know, precedence in the, in the early years. Sure. Um, uh, luckily, with the support and uh, from my from my family, uh, I was able to pursue it, started competing um, at an early age and, you know, did well. Um, and then eventually, you know, turning, turning to pro. And I always still, you know, I always hunted. Uh, in the fall. And then I would go, I would do a hard line transition. Like, yeah. it would be like, all right, putting my, putting my gun and bow away and then boom, load up my snowboard bag. And then not a lot of transition time winter. that time of year for you. No, I really was. And I actually missed, you know, a lot of the rut, you know, so I would go, I would go early, early November, late October, usually out West. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and start snowboarding then. And then also in the summers too, you know, Mount Hood in Oregon, it's a big glacier out there. You snowboard all summer and then South America, of course, it's their, you know, opposite season. So our summer is their winter. Sure. So uh, there's always snow somewhere. So we would chase the snow down to, um, you know, South America, Chile or Argentina, uh, New Zealand or. Um, yeah. It's amazing. You see, yeah. any, I was just talking. So Ben O'Brien, we had as a guest last week and we were just talking about if there was one place you could hunt turkeys, you know, where would it be? And my answer inevitably is always New Zealand. Did you, did you notice that when you were down there? Oh, man, New Zealand is so friggin' beautiful. I miss it there. I haven't been, I haven't been to New Zealand in quite a few years. Yeah. The place is special, man. People are awesome. Food's great. Wildlife is just crazy there. I yeah. Mean, like I don't think they have any seasons for majority of the part because most animals there are considered invasive. Right. They don't have any natural predators or anything like that. And just the landscape that, you know, you get to hunt them in is absolutely beautiful. Yeah. I can imagine. Um, and uh, it's some, some wild country for sure. You know, it's usually like helicopter up, you know, yeah. like a spike camp and uh, the New Zealand people are just, they're, they're rad and they get a beautiful country and some, some pretty badass people there. I'm a Lord of the Rings, a Lord of the Rings nerd too. Oh, so yeah. in the back of my mind, I'm like, how cool it would would it be to take a Marion's t- turkey in New Zealand, where they film Lord of the Rings? Like just all this crazy pop culture coming into it for me that right. rounds it out, and it's just a neat adventure. So I didn't know they had. Uh, I don't know uh, they had turkeys there. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, they're they're an invasive, um, and for the longest time they were treated and i think in a lot of places down there i understand they're still treated as vermin like i'm sure just have at it there's so many of them but with you you talked about it right with being hunters and being trying to excel at your you know if you're a pro athlete that kind of lends itself uh and transitions into into your hunting life it's just it's not a matter of being greedy never being satisfied it's just we expect more of ourselves when we have a higher standard right so 
I'm getting to the point of with a turkey hunting, people have, you know, we have our slams, we have our world slams. Now we have, you know, the 49 state super slam. Now people are like, okay, before COVID, I'm going to get all the Canadian provinces. Where else are there turkeys that I can legally hunt? Right. New Zealand. And so now the outfitters down there are starting to look at, oh, there's enough crazy people in the lower 48 that are willing <laughs> to take a 24 hour drive, or air flight or more right. here just to kill turkeys. Never mind, you know, they're not here for stag or tar, or, you know, going up on these alpine hunts are like, yeah, I'm, I'm here to kill turkeys, mate. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just crazy. And so I think they're starting to see a demand and a market for it. So I think I think locally their their ideas are changing, but it's still very much you know, bottom run critter to out get after. Imagine. Yeah. yeah, out of magic. Because, I mean, they do, you know, they have giant red stag there yeah. and they have tar and chamois and wild boar. And, yeah. Um, I would imagine that, you know, I'm almost positive the outfitters have been hurting big time over there because their yeah. country's been closed for yeah. for two years straight, you know. Yeah. They're just slowly starting to open up the borders. Um, so, I don't know when that was. So, let me try to think. So, it would be complete opposite. So, we're getting right into the you know, into the mating season for Turkey. So, you know, it'd be another six months for uh, them. And for them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would suggest it, man, put it on your hit list. That's yeah. awesome. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll link up. Let's just go. Someday we'll just hop on a plane. Yeah, and go. Hop on I, a plane. I'm down. <laughs> Get some, uh, I have a couple contacts there, a couple of buddies that I met over the years and, you know, bring a tent and friggin' we'll just get after them. Hey, I'm, I'm in. All right. We'll do, do an NWTF <laughs> world tour. So, you know, I, I again, I, I, I kind of talked about uh, casually observing your your development and, and what you've been up to. And, and recently here in the hunting space uh, in conservation, like it seems to be blowing up for you. Right. Uh, you got the furlough stuff on, um, you know, made in America. That's they kind of hit it. You know, one of these silver linings. Right. COVID supply chain issues. And here's a company. Totally. All made in America totally. that people are able to get to. And it's respectable. You know, like they make awesome stuff i'm a i'm a huge fan i was a huge fan before you know yeah i ended up you know linking up with them and partnering with them but you got to respect that everything is sourced and made in america because it's tough it's challenging you know it's very challenging you know they're uh you know the margins aren't through the roof like you know majority of the other brands um so it's you know it's commendable you know yeah. what i mean it's, it, i would say it's uh patriotic you know and it's it's i'm stoked to to be with a brand like that. And, um, you see over here, you know, oh, yeah, I love yeah. America. I got a giant American flag. Uh, and I was proud to, to rep the United States yeah. in the 2010 Olympics. Working with them, uh, recently becoming a, a SIG ambassador. They're, they're working real hard on their hunting side of the house, yeah. their brand. Yep. You were out, uh, out West, the SIG, the SIG hunting games. What was that experience like? And, and what did you guys do? It that seemed was, like super secret squirrel at the time and they've slowly let stuff out. Yeah, no, it was. And I going into it, you know, it was invite only. It was, you know, teams of three. Yeah. Um, and I think there were 10 or 12 teams in total. Um, and I really had no clue uh what to expect also you know being from new england i'm not really a uh, long distance shooter right you know what i mean i mean we take 20 yard shots that's exactly 40 right. yard shots you know um proficient with a shotgun uh but uh but ended up holding my own our team actually ended up winning the event um and it's it was really a perfect fit i mean i've been a huge fan of sig forever they're literally right down the street yeah. in in exeter uh new hampshire and and the world headquarters at Pease air force base um 
and they do some impressive stuff. I just recently got a tour of the factory and it's it's mind-blowing. And uh, everyone there at the company is is badass and uh, they're on some next level stuff. And I'm really, really excited to be partnered with them. And um, we're going to be doing a cool project coming up this fall, kind of shed, uh, shedding some light on uh, deer hunting in, uh, in New England, kind of yeah. our histories and stuff like that. Going... Uh, specifically doing a lot of tracking uh in the snow um and uh, some other other cool stuff so um, i'm excited to to get that project going i've already started been looking at some music and stuff kind of picking out my yeah <laughs> some of the songs for the project i'm like hey i hope you guys don't mind you know <laughs> um but uh yeah really fired up with them and then uh, uh with La- lacrosse boots as well yeah um I'm Big supporters of the NWTF. With, oh, they are. That's oh, awesome. Yeah. That's, That's great. Exactly right. Lacrosse. I've been a huge fan for those guys for uh, forever. I've been been running their boots forever, and um, I was lucky enough to to join and join up on the team. And uh, yeah, really, really fired. Good boots, man. I'm I'm ready to get a new pair just because it's uh in my mind. I'm like, okay, now it's time. But they, you know, they're like five or six years old and I'm still running, running them just fine. Best, best yeah, pair right. of boots I've ever had. I'm like, kind of sad to see him go, but I need to upgrade. It's and, boots. And boots are weird like that. Like you're <laughs> proud of them, right? Like the more beat up they get, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? You're like, I had a hard time. You know, I just upgraded. I got a pair of Aerolites and I don't think I'll ever go back to a different, different model. They're, they're my favorites, but uh, you know, kind of taking my old ones and put them apart. I'm like, we've been through so much to, yeah. you know, all marked up and dinged. It's like, you know how many miles we walked, <laughs> walked together. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you look uh, down at them and like, there's you know, a stain here, stain there. And without being gruesome, like audience can infer what we're talking about. And right. like, I remember that hunt. I remember how that stain got there. Yeah. <laughs> and you start reliving stuff. It's you're exactly right. You know, it's the, that cliche walk a thousand mile in a man's boots. Well, Imagine the stories those boots could tell if right. they actually <laughs> talked, right? Right. Um, Sig, I, I've I've talked about. I'm, I'm great friends with many people over there. They, they actually uh, during COVID before I came back to the Turkey Federation, I was working over at the the pro shop for a little bit, supporting my family. So I got a huge soft spot in my heart for, for the folks over there, and you know I was impressed as well with everything they have going on. And I kept rallying and beating the drum. Like y'all need to come out with a shotgun shotgun space needs it. Like something new, something fresh. And you know, a couple of the inside guys, it'll never happen. It'll never happen. And I've heard rumors and I unsubstantiated, of course, but rumors being what they are, they're fun to spread that there may be a shotgun in the work. So I'm hoping somewhere down the line, there's a SIG shotgun because the optics game, man, I, uh, I was blown away. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, like you referenced around here, we don't have a lot of, long distance shooting opportunity. Yeah. Uh, but for the turkey hunter, for the deer hunter, the deer tracker, like their optics have applicability completely here. A hundred percent. Um and 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 especially for the turkey hunter with their new um those new binoculars that have the switch on I free I think they're Zulu sevens. But they got the gyroscope. The, oh, the dude those the things stabilizer. are an absolute game changer. Game changing. Like straight game changer. Actually I have a pretty cool story last year when I was hunting I was fully sold on them when I first started test- testing them out. I'm like, oh my God, this is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. You could just, I mean, you can hold them one handed, you know, yeah. part the woods, you yeah. know, it's just really fun. But I was able to spot this buck in his bed through this cat and eye tail swamp. So we were, I was scouting in with a buddy. I, I didn't have a buck tag, but my, my buddy did. And we're scouting this new area together, you know, because I'm not going to take them to my spot. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? But I'm right. like, hey, around here hunting. anyway. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's go pick a random piece of woods that we both haven't been into, and we'll we'll scout it and we'll hunt it together. You know, um, so we were scouting out this this cat and eye tail swamp, and I see this 
this little alder patch. I'm like, you know, like if there's a buck in here, you know, or a deer, I think you, you know, might be better on that little tiny little island, you know. Well, sure enough, and you know, glassing it with my with my binos, a stabilizing one, and I just see this rack, boom, boom, turns. I'm like, oh my god! And in a million years, I huh. never would have never would have spotted that if yeah. I had regular binos. Like I really wouldn't. Yep. Um. So. I don't know. Like after I did that, I'm like, you know, these things are such game changers. Um, and we were able to stock within 15 yards of it. Uh, of course, the deer always has the upper hand and sure. he went at us and eventually just kind of walked away because he felt so comfortable in his bed. He just walked through the cat and eye tails. We, you know, never got a shot, but uh, it was really cool to see. And uh, anyway, so that's my story. Their tech is is phenomenal and, you know, always typically geared towards you know, law enforcement, military spec stuff, um, spec ops, but you know, there's total, you can put it to work in the, in the new England woods. You can put them to work in the, in the Rocky mountains and, mm-hmm. and down South chasing swamp gobblers, like stuff's good. So I'm hoping, you know, from a personal standpoint or personal bias, I'd like to see, I'd like to really see that side of the, the organization grow because I just think it's good stuff. And a lot of it's made here locally. So there's a sense of local pride totally. here too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they are right. I mean, like, I'm going to be running a uh, a red dot on my shotgun this year for the first time. Yeah. I've never, never always been iron sights, but I want to give it a shot. So I'm going to, I'm going to throw a red dot on there. One of theirs. Yeah. What are theirs, you going to put yeah. on? Um, I don't know yet. Um, I want to test out a couple, couple different options. I'm a big fan. I got, I put Romeo fives on all mine and my kids oh, nice. setups. Yep. Uh, I liked it because of the housing and they, they're just built to take a beating. I mean, all of them, but uh, you see a lot of folks will, will drop um either a Romeo three or some guys, if they had the ability to attach a Romeo one. So they just like that, that thin profile, but I found the housing on that five. um, Is that enclosed housing? Yeah. It's that, that bigger one, right. That they put on the tread. Yep. Yep. Um, Those are rad looking. They're they're. I'm aggressive with all my gear. Right. So like those Romeo fives and uh, the threes and the ones are beautiful. You know, I have one on my, my three twenty, my, my everyday, um, and that's super nice for, for, you know, handgun shooting. But like when I'm out there running, gunning around here, I need something that's going to take a beating. And, and quite frankly, that housing has stood up and I, I haven't been kind to it at all. <laughs> nice. so yeah, no, uh, I'm in the same boat, man. I'm a, I, I, I th- throw my stuff around. It's just inevitable. You know, when you're putting on so many miles, you know, and yeah. doing so many setups, uh, you're going to bang your gun around, you know, um, so that's that's good to hear. I'll probably end up going with uh, the Romeo Five. Yeah, it's it's legit, and it's got that Motac on it too, which was great, right? So for years, when I was uh, going through my red dot phase of trying to figure out what was good, I always think the thing that always bugged me was manipulating and turning it on and off. And when they demoed that for me, when I first started working there in that pro shop, I was like, yep. I'm like immediately, I didn't think of target acquisition on the range. I'm like. I could do this turkey hunting and just pick my gun up and the red dots on. I don't right. have to think about it. Right. The only thing I had to adjust for was as the, as the sun comes up, uh, you have to adjust the brightness on that. Right. Yep. Um, otherwise yep. it's too much or it's too little. Uh, but just that little bit of technology coming up and it's already on. It's one less thing you got to think about one totally. less piece of movement, especially when you're dealing with turkeys. Right. And you um, know, I mean, at least speaking for myself, I would 100%. If it didn't have that, I would 100% forget to turn it off one of the days. Yeah. And then I'm going in the field with a dead battery. Yeah, for sure. 100%. Having having that, just as far as remembering to turn it on and off is just game changer. Yeah, for sure. I mean, around here, I think a lot of people are moving 
you don't have a big track of land in New England, you're you're like I said, I, I run and gun crazy because I'm going from property to property to property. Totally. Uh, most of all, I have permission to know the landowner. So we have that ability up here. So your your stuff is really going through the rigors instead of just having this large track and you're able to kind of calmly sit in there and know you have the space to yourself. Right. Uh, we don't have you know, a dirty word around here is land leasing. Right. But it's we're like one of the last bastions of freedom in the country up here where if it's not posted, you could play on it. And the audience has heard me talk about this. But everywhere else, that's a foreign idea. Totally. The places and it was you've funny. Been. Like I went I went hunting with the uh, the hunting public last year. Like was it free? was it June? Man. Yeah, they came up. They yeah. was they got June birds. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that that was absolutely forward to them and something that I grew up around. You know, yeah. like, hey guys, listen, just picture it like everything is open, <laughs> everything is public. You know, unless it has a posted sign. Right, right. Uh, but they struggle with the idea. You know. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we're it's awesome. You know, Maine and New Hampshire are great like that. Yeah. Uh, it's really pro hunter, and, and um, I think it works. You know. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. Picture this, the sky full of birds, a good dog by your blind, and the pinnacle of reliability in your hands. When the entire experience relies on the moment that trigger is pulled, your shotgun better be nothing less than perfect. Benelli's Super Black Eagle 3. Dominate the skies. This is Jason Hart, co-founder of Nomad Outdoor, and I'm here to welcome you to the Turkey Call All Access Podcast, hosted by my good buddy, Fred Bird. At Nomad, we're constantly innovating to keep you more effective in the field. Check out our new 2022 Nomad Turkey products, including our innovative bull lounger turkey vest, our new mesh-like pant, and our bino harness system designed with a turkey hunter in mind. Also, for you whitetail, waterfowl, and western big game hunters, keep a lookout for new products coming later this summer by Nomad. Nomad, gear that hunts. So, so far, I mean, like we were right before we came on uh, recording, we were talking about, you know, the immigration of people from different parts of the country and these big metropolitan centers over the last two years moving into the airfinger quote country, which is great. But assimilate to the, the neighborhood you're moving into. Don't bring your city ideas because it's different. It's different lifestyles. Totally. It's a different way of growing up. And, you know, it may be foreign to see people walking around in camo and shotgun and think they're not up to nefarious things. <laughs> they're just out there recreating and, and hunting in the season. Right. Um, so people should get used to that and not us get used to them kind of thing. Right. Because after a while, if, if all these bad ideas perpetuate, we're going to have nothing. Right. And yep. that's, that's the challenge. Yeah. Um, especially in little corner of the world like us, where we still can, can go recreate on non-posted property without the law being called on us. And that's very nice. Right. Yeah. It's uh, it is uh, a culture shock. That, yeah, yeah. Talk more about uh, that hunting public trip you guys had because they just uh, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I thought they just dropped that episode. Yeah, they did. They just yeah. dropped it uh, like a week ago. Yeah, yeah. We're close to it. Um, yeah, it was really it was really fun, man. Uh, 
Now you I, had hunted with them before, right? I had hunted right. with them before. Yeah. Um, but so in Maine, or at least in that area of Maine, you're allowed two birds. So before I linked up with them, I ended up killing one bird and I saved my tag so I could go hunt with those guys. Um, we went up to an area that I had never been, been to before. And, and we just bounced around. We got into a lot of birds. Um, a lot of landowners were uh, receptive to us hunting turkeys on there. They really didn't care. They're like, yeah. sure. Why are you even asking? You know? I'm like, <laughs> right. well, I don't know. I wouldn't have unless these guys know. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was fun. We got into a lot of birds, a lot of jakes. Like it was like 12 jakes to one tom, hmm. you know what I mean? Uh, which is fine. You know what I mean? Go shoot a jake if you'd like. Um, I think actually Jake shot a jake when, when we were there but uh um i was looking for a tom so it was a little bit challenging to find a tom but yeah. once we did um we ended up having pretty much a perfect setup we roosted him that evening before and he was roosted right on the edge of a, a big sand pit and on the other side was a giant swamp and it went pretty much straight up to a, you know to a mountain so he was either gonna have to you know, pitch down and go way across that swamp, which, you know, I could, you know, see him doing as well, but sure. more probable option. He was going to pitch down, land in this open, open timber, pretty good strut zone, and then pop right out to this, to the sand pit, which we'd seen a lot of tracks in a lot of, you know, a lot of turkey sign in. So we felt pretty confident go rolling in there in the morning. Honestly, for whatever weird reason, we roosted him the night before. I thought he was a Jake. Um, just the way his gobble was kind of short and light, light sounding you know mm -hmm. i just and the fact that we were seeing so many jakes you know i was like that's probably a jake but yeah. like you know we didn't have any other options so we set up ended up being two two big toms and they came out and uh we had a really a perfect setup came out right where we expected them to which usually never happens in turkey honey right <laughs> for me that is yeah, you know I, I have most of my luck late morning you know the initial setup usually doesn't work that well because either a uh you know, you work in small parcels and you only have, you know, limited space, you know, right. it's either one section of the, you know, the is posted, you right. know, or whatever. So you have kind of limited areas where you can work. So I have a lot of, a lot of luck mid morning. Uh, but that, that time up in Maine with the, uh, with the hunting public ended up being, um, you know, right off the roost. It's nice. We shot, I think four fifty four or something like that in the morning. So it's um, neat that time of year when you bring folks out this far east and <laughs> I hosted a, a good buddy of mine and he was texting his buddy and it was about that time of year. He's like, man, we're killing birds at four 30 in the morning or close to it. Right. And freaked them out because it's the lights are still off where they live you right. know, that time <laughs> of the morning in the Eastern time zone. So we really are exaggerated. And, it, you know, for us where you can only hunt till well in New Hampshire noon, that time of the year, it's nice because you're you're getting almost a full eight hours in um, Maine. You're allowed to hunt all day, so it doesn't really matter. So you can really right. wear yourself out as fast oh, yeah. as you want. No, oh, yeah, you wear yourself out for sure. I think we did like a 12-hour day the day before I ended up killing that bird, you know. And it's so like I'm like, I'm kind of like a sundowner, right? Like, I'm like up in full energy as long as the sun's up. But the minute the sun goes down, I'm like, oh, I think it's time to get to bed. Or, yeah. <laughs> um, so I'll just keep going until the sun's up. And yeah, it's tough that time here because, you know, you almost feel like you're cheating yourself. You know, if you have that opportunity to hunt all day, like right. I, I I'm compelled to be out here. I owe it to the bird to, to give <laughs> my full 110 percent. Yeah, because he's he's going to 110 percent try to get away from you. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. So to, to respect the bird and get after it. Yeah. What um did you hunt with them in Kentucky? Did I read that right? Yes, I did. So yeah. what was 
you know, compare the two, like growing up around here and then and then going down there. Kentucky, uh, it was cool. It was my my first time uh, down there, and uh, uh, there wasn't as many birds as, well, definitely not as many birds as around here. Yeah, um, I don't know if that was just you know the section of land that we were in or whatever, but um, you know, pretty comparable as far as as far as hunting techniques and stuff and how the how the birds acted. Um, but there were just few and far in between, man. A mm. lot of land, beautiful country. We were yeah. in the, was I think it was the Daniel. Boone National Forest, um, and like minus all the trash on the sides of the road, that was kind of surprising. Hmm. But uh, once you get off the sides of the road, it's beautiful, awesome, super steep cliffs and running streams, and um, it was really cool and really fun to to chase them down there. But as far as turkey numbers go, I mean, I felt bad for some of the gobblers. You know, <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> I don't think there's a head within freaking ten miles of you, man. Like, I feel bad, and now we're now we're you know. We're trying to kill you. <laughs> yeah. That's the name of the game. Yeah. Man. Yeah, totally. But uh it was it was cool. It was fun. It's uh the more I get to have opportunities to hunt down south and west. I mean, it's I think be, I think where we're at, we're like behind the times probably by a decade, right? Because we're we're still going through this this golden age of turkey hunting in the northeast. Mm-hmm. Um it, you know, I know western Vermont and parts of New York are are challenged. They have some decline, but in totality, I mean, it's a destination area to come turkey hunt. Just it really because is. Really- no, I don't think anyone really thinks about it, but I mean, we have birds here. You know, it's not hard. We were just talking, you know, before we started this podcast, it's really not hard to go out and find no. some birds. You know, you're you're going to go out and you're, you're almost guaranteed, you know, you're going to run into some birds or get some action. I mean, enough to where I don't go scout before the season. Yeah. I just, I just kind of roll around, mm-hmm. you know, and jump in a section of woods, you know, and, and walk and talk, you know, and exactly if right. it doesn't work in that section, you know, try another, you know, another piece of woods or, you know, but, uh, you know, I think we're confident enough. We have so many birds that it's relatively easy to, to at least chase one around for the day. Um, and if you've been doing this for any sort of period of time around here, I mean, the, these are perennial, uh, roosting spots, roosting spots and, and right. strut zones, right. They're going to, someone's going to be there. Mm-hmm. It may not be the same bird from last year you missed, but birds are going to show up. So that's a, that's a kind of a nuance to this area. Like I don't, I don't roost either. Yeah. If I'm bringing someone out and that's part of the experience and you know, we want to go through those iterations, I'll, I'll take them out and you know, we'll get them to gobble on the roost or listen. And, you know, that's okay. But I didn't, I don't, and it sounds the same for you. You don't need that. Like we right. know we're going to go in here, yep. probably get something to strike. Yep. Yep. Totally. It's different. People don't have that luxury. more exciting too. Sometimes, yeah. you know, like, oh my God, you know, I'm just going to go out and, you know, sometimes you got to work for it. You know what I mean? You go, you know, two, three, maybe four hours without hearing a gobble. Mm-hmm. And then when you get that gobble, it's like, Oh, big yeah. shot of adrenaline. All right, we're back in the game. 11 you know? o'clock like, in the in the morning gobbles or talk about our adrenaline spike. You yeah, get them a lot exactly. around here. Yeah. yeah. So you started, you started to comment on it and I mentally put a pin in it. I want to come back to it was, you know, people don't know about it so much up here unless they're listening to this program or, you know, they, they watch hunt in public and see them, you know, traveling around and highlighting areas. I think that's a function of probably outdoor television, right? It was, I talked to some outdoor professionals years ago and they said, you know, we don't go up there because it's too expensive. It's too expensive to produce a show. I can't chase deer. It's just, it's, it's a giant pain in the ass to be truthful. And so the area has never got, it's just do right for the the resource that it is and the accessibility to land and opportunity you have kind of and again watching your ability like especially when it comes to deer hunting you've kind of 
proven that all wrong and not like in the big woods buck sense of like, you know, like a hell of blood being up in Jackman with all mm-hmm. this pristine land. Like you do that stuff here in Southern New England. Totally. Talk about that because you're, I mean, there's plenty of guys that have success, but you consistently get it done. Yeah. I mean, so like I said, like I grew up doing it right. And it's, it's for the most part, it dude, it's, I think uh, if I had to like, put a couple points into why I might be successful, you know, killing big bucks locally. It's just consistency, like straight up. Like I, I wouldn't consider myself a great hunter. You know, I think I'm a good hunter. I, I really know deer behavior and I know, you know, turkey behavior just because I'm out there all the time mm. doing it. But it's, I look, look back at majority of the big bucks that I've killed and, you know, I couldn't say that I even knew that they were there. You know what I mean? Mm. I couldn't say that my setup was perfect. You know, it just kind of, happened because I spent so much damn time in the woods. Yeah. Um, so it's consistency and it's also putting yourself in the right areas, you know, over time you learn, you know, uh, where big bucks tend to hunt, you know, the roost zones, you know, the, you know, the classic stretch zones kind of where to get away from people, where people tend to, you know, be drawn to, you know, weird little access points into, you know, pieces of land where, you know, other hunters don't like to be. And it's like, that's a tough thing around here. You know, you got to, as much as you're hunting, you know, hunting birds and deer and stuff like that. And, you know, waterfowl, I love to waterfowl hunt too. You know, it's, is, I think the biggest factor out here is hunting pressure. Yeah. You know, um, it's pretty considerable, you know, I mean, you don't think you, anyone really has, unless you have it, you know, a posted, a posted, you know, uh, with sole permission to be on there, you know, you're, you're in there with other hunters, you know? Um, so I think that's the biggest factor. Um, and then add to that, right. You know, both States that border us, uh, well, at least, uh, East and South, they don't have Sunday hunting. So it can, it's, it's magnified even more. And we get this influx of Sunday hunters that come in, uh, for both seasons. Totally. Cause we're so lucky to, you know, be able to do what we do. They, those, those tides are changing though. A lot of legislation has been passed, early this year with uh, Sunday hunting being proposed or reconsidered. And I, th- I was I think saying that yeah. Massachusetts. Oh, really? Had it. So I had Matt light was on the show about a beginning of the month oh, nice. and um, love him by the way. Yeah. You were out of the sick yeah. with him, right? Yeah, I did. He, he actually hit me up last year. I've been in contact a little bit, but um, he wanted to kill a bird in New Hampshire and he's like, yo, do you think you could put me on a bird? Right. And I was like, hell yeah. 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 That would be awesome. So I was like his guide for, for a day and nice. ended up, ended up killing a big Tom. And, uh, but that dude's the man. We're, so we were just remarking about Sunday hunting and, you know, if it's a frustration for him being, uh, you know, Matt, he's, he's here in Massachusetts during, during the uh, winter, which is strange. You think you would leave and go, but you know, for hunting purposes and, and then stuff for, for the foundation, he hangs around uh, this area. So uh, it was just interesting that it was such a point of the conversation talking about that. And then it wasn't like a week later that mass fish and wildlife was considering it. And like legislation was being drawn up first time in forever. Like it's actually taken that extra step and not just right. something. Not someone that just our complaining. Talk or that, yeah. Or complain or talk about like, we really need to do this as a point of, you know, entry for recruitment and hunter recruitment and opportunity, but it's actually getting legs. So I don't know where they're at. I'll have to follow up after this conversation, but I, it got further along in the legislative process than I've ever seen it right. uh, in, in probably 20 years, which is exciting for those yeah. people. Yeah, totally. 
and in our woods in New Hampshire can take a break. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That might help things uh, yeah. up over here. Uh, but you're, yeah. um, I'm not asking you to point out your haunts and stuff, but I, I have an idea and, and intimately knowing this area growing up and not very far from here. I grew up in Exeter, New Hampshire, we were talking yep. and uh, uh, more and more yellow signs, more and more folks encroaching the less and less timber. Mm-hmm. Um, the stretch more of, houses being put. Yeah, up, man. The stretch of developments, the stretch of highway coming down here. Highway. It's a it's a friggin' road, but it's a highway here. Um, it's becoming more developed, which, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was telling you, I don't get down here very much. It's not far away from me, but it's enough that I don't get down here. I'm like, wow, this is that used to be a whole swamp or I don't even know how they built on it because a lot of these places are very wet yeah. and swampy. It's I'm like thinking the same thing. So how did they do some that? of the spots? I'm like, all right, there's no way. <laughs> They get an inside man. Yeah, uh, well, for sure, because no, you it's, get it's constantly a, told about wetland habitat demarcation. You can't build on it. I'm like, I know for a fact right. that's wet. Yeah, you just, yeah, it's not wet anymore because he pushed the freaking 20 loads of gravel out into, yeah. the, into the marsh. Pristine um, habitat, wildlife habitat, and totally. outdoor recreating. And it's, uh, totally. it's going away. So it is. And it's a big factor, especially around here. And it's unfortunate, you know, but there are organizations out there who are kind of fighting back. Um, one of them in New Hampshire is Southeast Land Trust, yeah. CELT. Um, they do awesome work. I see their, I see their protected woodlots and farm mm-hmm. farmlands everywhere and they're growing and they're doing really good stuff uh, forever protecting it, you know, um, and they're kind of prioritizing spots too, spots that are, you know, ecologically, you know, sensitive, you know, water, you know, spots that have a lot of water in it to protect clean drinking water mm-hmm. and um, you know, spots that might have, you know, endangered species or, or whatnot. So they're doing a lot of good stuff. I rose a little bit of raised, raised, I don't know how to say, <laughs> help them raise um, some money for, for the organization. And I want to continue working with those guys. But um, if you guys see the effects of urban development and you want to protect some some land and um do good for mother nature and for all the critters that live there um i suggest you know looking into southeast land trust if you're here uh locally in new hampshire or southern new hampshire um they do awesome stuff and yeah it's an important message to get out you know i I think about the town i live in and these legacy um ag properties and a lot of the farmers that are the primary owners or second generation owners are Biology is catching up with them, right? And they're unfortunately not going to be along for the ride for quite some time. Yeah. And I fear that when their their kids or like their middle aged kids at this point get a hold of them, the real estate market for what it is up here is incredibly overflated, and mm-hmm. um, just land itself goes for the, what would cost for a building with land. Totally. And I'm so afraid that these beautiful farms and ag properties and just pristine wildlife habitat is going to be turned into two acre lots and these big ugly McMansions are going to go up on yeah. them and just crowd the whole area. And that's going well, to, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's happening. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just, you know, it's kind of death by a million cuts. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's one house lot here, one house lot there. You know, it's, it's kind of crazy. Like rolling around with my dad, my dad's like, Oh, I used to hunt. This, this used to be one of, you know, my favorite spots, yeah. and, you know, we'll go down the road a little bit. Ah, this used to be, you know, really good spot, you know? And it's like, Oh, house there, housing, you know, development there. And it's like the footprint too, especially in Massachusetts, right. Where there are restrictions, you can't shoot uh, anywhere like 500 feet from, you know, occupied dwelling which is AKA a house, you know, and then 150 
feet from a road. Yeah. Um, you know, so one house lot, you know, actually takes up a really big footprint. Sure. You know, if it's especially if it's in the right area, you know, it's like, all right, that's a big, big buffer. So not only did you lose that specific spot, you know, but hunters, you know, can't hunt when a giant buffer around yeah. around that house, you know. Um, and it's you know, it's tight. So uh yeah, it just is what it is, you know. For those of but, us that are following uh, do, the do rules, you can do, it's, you know, it's, to, it's a it's a tough gig because we're doing all our best to follow those law books and, you know, have good interactions with landlords. If anything, have a, have a positive relationship with those landlords because maybe they'll open absolutely. up the access at some point. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause I mean, we're all responsible for making hunters look great. Right. We're all stewards of the land. Right. Like I make it a point every time I go in the woods, a lot of times, you know, if I'm being completely honest, I don't do it, but majority of the times I get, when I go in the woods, I try to take at least one piece of trash with me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's a, whether it's an old soda can from friggin' the sixties, you know, or whatever it is, you know, even if it's something small, you know, a, sh- a shell casing from, from another hunter, yeah. you know, throw it in my pocket, take it out of the woods, you know, um, just kind of doing our part, you know, that's super small scale, but it makes me feel good. And it feels like I'm doing a part, you know, at least, you know, doing some cleaning up and, and especially if it's a shell, you know, yeah. um, it makes us, you know, as hunters look, look a little bit better. So. Yeah, no, that's great. And if everyone did it, it would, it would help tremendously. I know uh, it's a bugaboo of mine about mylar balloons. So my, oh my kids, they God. know yeah, as soon as they see something it. shiny, you're like balloons coming out. So when, when I, you and I were talking the other day and I was out shed hunting with my daughter, mm-hmm. you know, a good buddy of mine says every 10 balloons you pick up, you're going to find a shed. Well, I'm at to like 20. I'm a poor shed hunter, but I've cleaned up a whole bunch of balloons and I feel okay about that. Yeah. Right. Pocketfuls of these damn things. Yeah. I don't know what people think. Like, do they think they just go off into space? They go to heaven. And unfortunately, yeah, the the balloons go (laughs) up to heaven. No, like, dude, that's going to land in the woods or my roommate's actually a lobsterman. Yeah. And he says the ocean is frigging littered with them. So gross. He says he'll pick up, you know, you'll see, see hundreds, you know, a day. Um, which is kind of crazy, you know, so if you got one of those inflatable boons, just don't let them go. I'm know? not a, I'm not a big, uh, government and big, like writing laws for every little thing, but like that one, that one in like grocery bags, I feel like I would make an exception. Like, yeah, yeah write a law. Don't. Well, I mean, you know, it's the same thing as littering. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's, don't let them you know, go. yeah, just, you know, it's, it's exactly the same thing in littering as my eyes and should be treated as so, yeah. you know, when you uh, yeah, let I'm it bloom go, you. guess what? You know, that's the same thing as throwing uh, a McDonald's bag out your window on the highway. It feels almost uh, like. uh, Because you're right. They're just the woods are littered with them, too. Yeah, I feel violated, man. When I'm out there and, you know, you you get into this this headspace, right? You're you're in your zone. You're in your element. I I could probably you could attribute uh, liken it to being in the half pipe or something like you're in a zone and you're doing your thing. And what would ruin that? A friggin yellow, shiny blue balloon like this doesn't belong here right. and it totally takes me out of my game and i feel like i don't know i i feel insulted in a way yeah and it's just it detracts from the experience right so if like whatever you do for concentration you're getting ready to, to execute a, a certain movement when you're 30 feet up in the freaking air yeah and someone distracts you like that sucks someone has a snowball at your yeah. face you know right <laughs> taking off the that's lip. horrible yeah no i hear you but uh yeah Turkey season's coming up. I'm excited about that. How what are your plans? Do you uh, my plans, I'm going to hunt um, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, and Maine. Yeah. Uh, that should 
should keep me pretty busy. Um, so I have a, of a, um, he's going to be two, two year old boy coming up here in a couple of months. Um, so he keeps me pretty busy. So I think I'll be pretty set with those three States, you know, yeah. six birds in total. Um, so I think uh, I'll probably stick around here locally, you yeah. know, plenty um, to keep busy. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Chasing, yeah. chasing birds around. Uh, does he get excited birds. to go with dad? Does he, does it, does he, is there a correlation there? Does he understand um, it? He's not, he's a little too young right now. Um, but it's funny whenever he sees like, you know, camo or snowboard, he'll point and be like, dada, dada. Yeah. 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 Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah. My daughter was. Um, I mean, I would love to get him out and hunting with me when he gets old enough. Absolutely. Yeah. My daughter was four the first time I, uh, we went over to to Maine actually, because it was an afternoon and she's like, can we go hunt? I was like, yeah, yeah. We can go hunt because it's afternoon and we can go to Maine. Yeah. Let's go do it. Low pressure thing. Yeah. Um, what, a, awesome. what a kick that is. Uh, I, don't think they can pull the trigger until 12 in Maine, but New Hampshire, uh, if he was ready at three, he could go do it, which is pretty cool. Right. <laughs> right. right. Um, and talking about the red dots. I mean, what a game changer. Like when I put the red dot on my kids, his setup, it, um, he's a, you know, I'm a short guy and he's even shorter. So in his limbs are too. Right. So to muckle down on a, on a 20 gauge is pretty challenging, but to give him the confidence, they just, wherever that red dot is, put it on his head and he, so much confidence they built in them and it's a great great tool for little kids totally to get behind totally it takes a lot of the thought process and the the pressure off of lining up beads oh, and yeah. just being yeah, totally, totally awkward and you're like all right what am i focusing on the you know the beads you know line up the beads am i focusing on the turkey and then you gotta look i mean there's a lot it's a whole different ball game when you're shooting at a live critter yeah you know, totally. it's constantly moving moving in between in and out of brush you know, making sure there's not another turkey in the background or, you know, or vice versa, another yeah. deer in the background, whatever it is. Um, you know, also making sure that you're in shooting in a safe direction if, you know, if you're shooting in, you know, tight or whatever. So that just kind of take takes a, you know, a variable away um, and anything that's going to help you. Yeah. <laughs> we'll take, we'll take well, it just makes the experience because. more positive. And I think especially when you're dealing with kids or first time hunters, anything you can do to alleviate so much angst and, and, and a lot of it's self-induced pressure, but also, you know, wanting to follow rules and laws. It's a lot to take in. It's really sensory overload. Never mind putting, like you just said, a live heartbeat animal in mm -hmm. front of them. Like, okay, now do what you came here to do. Right. Oh my God. Right. Total meltdown. Right. Oh man. Love that adrenaline rush. Um, Love it. I wanted to ask, you know, you're in a unique spot, you know, and I, talked about Matt Light and, you know, other professional sports folks. When I get the opportunity to speak to them, you you have a, a neat and unique opportunity to affect um, change or influence uh, with a totally different audience. What is like, uh, what is the reaction to what you're doing now in the snowboarding and, and winter sport community? Like uh, so many of them are out there doing their thing and they're put on this, you know, on, on the world stage and you don't even think about it until they, someone like you steps out. Is this, is it, is, is there a, um, what am I trying to say here? Like the people in the, in the professional community that you're within, do they, uh, are there's a big self-reliance uh, movement amongst them or like, do they find pleasure in taking their outdoor um, profession to another uh, outdoor pursuit? I don't know, man. That's a kind of a loaded question. I feel like, yeah. you know, a lot, you know, it depends on the person. You yeah. know what I mean? I think, you know, as general snowboarders, you know, and skiers, you know, are outdoorsmen. 
you know, right. a lot of, you know, a lot of fishermen, so, you know, a decent amount of hunters out there. Um, but regardless, they're going to be doing something outdoors. You know, a lot of people love to hike, you know, people love to, to camp and stuff like that. Um, I think that's, what's different, right? So like, that's, that's the point I was driving at is you're outdoors for that profession. And, and they are too, where someone that plays football or baseball, it's, it's, it's a, in the season, it's in these metropolitan areas. Like it doesn't really lend itself to you're skiing on the side of mountains. And if you go a little off trail, like there's an opportunity to probably hunt on those same mountains. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, hell you go up 93 here in New Hampshire and you look up Cannon, you can see black bears eating blueberries, which is awesome during right. the summer. Right. Yeah, no, totally. I've, uh, I've always dreamed about actually doing like a, a snowboard, like hunt somehow, somehow making that happen. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, you're right. Do, uh, so it, I guess like from a, um, an opinion or a standpoint, this has anyone ever like give you negative feedback for, for what you're doing or they're like, Oh, that's, that's really awesome. Um, tell me more. Oh, can you, oh, can definitely, you definitely. I mean, answer you know, questions for me. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. So, uh, you know, of course I have a lot of positive support. Um, and of course, you know, it comes with it, you know, taking a life of an animal, you know, yeah. you're going to get tons of negative support. Right. So especially on, you know, through my following you know, Instagram, you know, through Instagram, you know, if I post a photo of, you know, me with a Turkey or me with a, you know, me, me with a, you know, a deer that I had just killed, you know, I'll get hundreds of messages, some death threats. Yeah. You know crazy. what I mean? Um, you know, some people just can't understand it and it's, it blows me away that people s literally think I go out and just, kill for fun it's like like you better you know eat that it's like well no shit of course i'm gonna go <laughs> yeah. eat it. that is why we hunt you know like all right do i enjoy it yes i do i absolutely love it you know what i mean but i'm gonna eat this thing you know like that's what hunting is all about you know um and i think there's a big movement for people you know in the natural world, wanting to know where their food food comes from, you know, and that whole, I mean, dude, it's kind of a lost art. Some people have no clue, you know, and, and people are so disconnected from nature. It's unbelievable. I'll post something like a, a porcupine, you know, on my video, people that live here and they're surrounded by porcupines have no clue what it is. Yeah. Is that a sloth? Huh. Uh, no, that, no. That's, that's not a sloth, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so uh, if anything, I, I hope that I'm educating some people, you yeah. know, and I think what we do is freaking cool, you know, and like I said, it's kind of a lost art. It's like right up there with trapping, you know what I mean? And it's like, no, you know, no one has any clue about that. You right. Know? Um, so I don't know where I was going with that, but yeah, there's some people who absolutely get behind it and think it's really cool. And I hope I inspire some people to get out and hunt or at least reconnect with nature a little bit, you know, and there's some people I'm just not going to change your mind. Um, and I try not to offend, you know, <laughs> too many people, but I'm going to go do, do me. Well, and, you're, you're you, you know, right? yeah, it's just, you know, that's all you can do, you know, just be yourself. And I feel like, you know, uh, like it or hate it or whatever, somewhere in between, but conversations that I get to have, and I'm, and I'm very lucky that I get to have these conversations. I find them fascinating. But the more I do it, I find that people that are in a position like yourself get more whispers or, you know, people will will look around and make sure their friends aren't watching and then engage you. Like, Tell me more about this. Yeah. I think more people than not have a genuine interest. Right. And want to learn 
but there's these external societal pressures from their peer groups that if they find out about this, are they going to ostracize me? Uh, right. you know, the, are they going to uh, yeah. cancel me? Whatever the buzzword is this week, right? right? Yeah. Um, and cancel is probably still worse. Sucks, still man. It does, man, you know, but it's, you know, I think, you know, like you're kind of saying, you know, there's, there's definitely, you know, I don't know if it's a silent majority, but there's definitely a lot of people, you know what I mean? Who, who kind of get behind, who can get behind it, you know? And I mean, at the end of the day, you know, if, if you eat meat, you can't really freaking hate it that much. You know what I mean? It's just, it is what it is. Yeah. You know, we go hunting and we freaking, we eat them. They're delicious. And our whole society freaking, that's how... <laughs> humans kind of came into existence you know you know we need to eat meat that's the most natural thing we we, we possibly right. do and it um, feels natural when you're out there yeah. right like everything about it feels natural and that's what i think also draws me to because dude there's so many freaking wrong paths you can go down in in life and mm. when you're out hunting i mean it's a wholesome freaking you know lifestyle you know i feel like it's wholesome lifestyle i'm not out drinking you know, I'm not doing drugs. Right. You know what I mean? You're getting up early, you know, utilizing the whole day, you know, you're learning. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why I love it too, you know, because um, it's wholesome. It's natural. It's, it's cool. It feels good. It feels good. Yeah. You know, feels so great when you're, you know, so, some days, you know, you go out, you feel like you've had a full day, you know, and half the world hasn't even woken up yet. That's exactly right. You know, and you're like, hell yeah, dude, I've already had a full day. I mean, there's so many cool benefits and stuff like that. And I think it's yeah. important for a voice like yours to to say that. And, and again, the audience of this program will, will hear me make this point time and time again. But guys like yourself and gals that, that, that are in the, the, the limelight that aren't in the limelight of the outdoor space have a unique opportunity and kind of like it or not, you've become de facto ambassadors of the lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And to this 80%, we're always talking about that is indifferent to our lifestyle, right? We know that there's 10% that hate our guts. We hope there's 10% that are on our side. We know there's at least six to 7% that actively engage, but there's that 80% that, you know, that finds you on Instagram do their interest in snowboarding or, or skiing or whatever. And they're like, Oh, he does this too. Huh? That's interesting. Totally. Maybe I'll, maybe my interest is peaking up. I'm going to dig a little more. And, and it, I think it's incredible. You know, it's, there are more people than we know that, that get down or, or, or put, can do this in a positive light and can have so much more effect uh, on change than someone like myself, because largely I'm preaching to a choir. I have a built in audience. People are hearing Turkey stories or hearing, technique or uh, biodiversity stories and, and, and habitat research stories. But when they hear a, a, a medalist in the Olympics come out here and talk about his pursuits and why he loves getting up and right. doing it before half the world. No, I hear you, huge. man. And you know, that's, uh, that's motivation for me right there. What you just said, you know, cause a lot of times I, I forget that, you know, I'm speaking to, you know, a large audience and majority of people are following me, you know, from a snowboarding, you know what I mean? And have no clue, you know? So it's really, it's a good opportunity to educate people and, and inspire people, you know, to, to get out there. Um, but, uh, yeah, th thanks for that. Yeah. Cause yeah, I need to do more of it. No, it's, you know, you know, and it's not meant to be like this heavy burden, like all of a sudden you have to bear this cross, but yeah, I think with the right attitude, and you, you certainly do no, it. No, I just look at um, it as an opportunity. Yeah. You're, you, I mean, there's you're right. so much that can be done. And um, it, it 
guys in your position, gals in, in that position will be able to perpetuate this lifestyle and, and ultimately save it from the shackles of cancel culture and, mm-hmm. you know, people that just like will email you death threats. I think that's, I think that's, first of all, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It happens more often than it should. Yeah, you would, you would believe actually some of the death threats. I, I get quite a bit. I mean, I can almost guarantee you if I were to post a photo, of, especially deer is pretty triggering for people. Yeah. You know, I, I don't get really any death threats for turkeys. Um, but uh, I, I almost guarantee you that I'll get one. <laughs> and Sky Lago put a, a um, black bear from New Hampshire on there. It's, it's going to be held to <laughs> yeah, pay. Yeah. Right. Yeah, the whole sure. Disney effect, fluffy, it, cuddly it, animals. Exactly. I think, like, a- I think honestly, I, you know what, the more, the more that I hunt, the more I get to learn about the animals and yeah. honestly, how amazing they are. Like they are unbelievable. I mean, you know, we can't, you know, us, you know, people in our technology can't even create what, you know, what animals do all the time. And like every little move, every little thing has a working purpose, you know, and it, and it's, Every time I learn something new, it just blows me away. Like, I mean, like, you know, for example, like, you know, calling to a turkey, right? This turkey can be 200, 300 yards off. You know, you can call once in a right in a certain spot. That turkey will pinpoint you exactly, and know exactly where you call <laughs> and will go to the exact spot, you know, right where you would just were. Like, that's pretty damn amazing. It is you know? amazing. Um, and that's, you know, it's one of so many examples, you know, how how cool they are. You know, I don't know. It excites me. And yeah. Well, we're I don't know where to, I was going with that, but no, I, yeah. I, I appreciate what you're trying to say. It's the challenge of it. Cause it's not, if you talk to, you know, every day, Joe blow on the street and, it, and inevitably it always happens, especially, you know, when you're out in the public, Oh, turkeys, that's easy to do. How cripes, Bob, I got, you know, 20 of them at my bird feed and I can go out and kill it. Can right. you though? And do it legally and then go through the rigors of that. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, I would challenge you on that. Right. And when you put them to task, they're like, oh, you know, an animal with a a brain this size of a pea just totally works me over. Right. And no one has any clue how amazing their eyes are, too. No. It always blows me away how freaking amazing. 270 degrees of vision and everything's trying to eat you. You're going to be pretty proficient at what the hell (laughs) you do. Yeah. And that's surviving. Right. You freaking blink and those things will freaking catch you. Now, and around here locally with, um, you know, the rise of the population in bobcats, which has just exploded. Mm, I mean, there is a lot more nowadays, isn't there? Everything's trying to kill these these mm-hmm. birds all the time. Never mind in May when we're, we're out there, you know, fumbling around and tripping right. over our, our lacrosse boots. You know, I always wonder if, you know, that might be a factor in certain areas for birds to gobble less. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, 100%. All right, hell yeah, like if they're in an area where there's a decent amount of bobcats and, you know, obviously coyotes are everywhere, but there are certain zones where coyotes are a little bit thicker, you know, do birds not gobble as much, you know, because they're essentially, you know, ringing the dinner bell for every, every creature out there. I always kind of wonder that. It's a hypothesis I've, I've presented as well, especially yep. between hunting pressure and natural predation and not just from, you know, your fur bears. There are more bald eagles and more red-tailed hawk in this area than when I grew up. Absolutely. Crazy. Definitely more. Definitely more birds of prey. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't, you can't trap them and you can trap all the raccoons and possum and skunk and all the, you know, the nest predators or uh, we can't do anything about bobcats in in our state because of the way they did it in the late eighties. But you know, you can go trap a bunch of uh, canine. You're still not going to stop the the aerial threat. 
Right. And there's so many of them. Yeah, like owls. Right. More owls. Freaking loaded. Uh, I was on a stretch there last year when I was going, doing uh, locator calls, hooting. Mm-hmm. And I called this like, I called in, I don't know how many freaking owls last year, you know, like almost to a point where I'm like, dude, this is like the photographer's. If you're trying to get yeah. some owls, dude, roll around and hoot and you will call in some owls. You Isn't know? it neat how curious they are? They'll yeah. fly to you. Right. Hard owls will just come and then they'll look in your soul with them deep black eyes and I'll like get unnerved about it. Like, I'm going. <laughs> they do. They do have some creepy eyes, man. Just <laughs> stare a hole right through you. But you're right, man. I've, I've noticed a lot. A lot of. Uh, Which is great, right? I mean, because it means state agencies, uh, organizations like ours are doing something right when you have. Um, you know, a lot of these, these species that were put on the brink and then they're just so commonplace. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the biggest arguments I used to always hear about Bobcat, it was, well, we never see them, so they must not be there. Okay. Well, let's take a couple of things into perspective. One, it's camouflage as hell. It doesn't want to be seen. Right. Um, and so you're not going to see them, even if there is a healthy population to that end. I see more and more pictures, uh, on the nightly news. Like they do this, uh, local picture sharing. Yep. It's always bobcats. There are more people taking bobcat videos and bobcat stills in Londonderry, New Hampshire, and, you know, all these southern tier areas that are just, you know, it's like a cat walking literally through your backyard like it's your tabby. And it's no, it's a 35 pound killer that takes out deer uh, and turkey and anything else that can get its fangs on. So you've kind of done a disservice by outlawing the ability to uh, responsibly take um, and manage that species. Because right. you can't, we can't do anything about it. Right. But yeah, I think that, you know, eventually over time, right. I mean, it's got to be right. Got to somewhat keep them under in control. It's uh, well, for us, it's unique, right. The way our, our laws are, our fishing game uh, seasons are, are done by the, the commission. Uh, the commission will get a proposed, uh, they'll vote on it and recommend a rule change. But obviously then that ultimately goes through a legislative, um, they got to sign into law. So back in 88 or 89, when they wrote, the taking a bobcat, like they got rid of the season and outlawed it mm-hmm. because they were on the brink. They put themselves into a corner because once you take it away, you can never like really give it back unless you can get enough public support. Right. And we go back to politicians right. uh, that'll pass that. Really and when you put nowadays. a beautiful fluffy kitty cat mm-hmm. on a, on a board and you have a committed 10% behind that, like I, I don't think you'll ever see it. It's going to take the right set of uh, policymakers to understand what they have. I mean, maybe enough, Yorkshire Terriers and Tabbies will get taken and they'll be able to pinpoint it to Bobcats killing, you know, their pets and right. then they'll have a reason to stand up. But. Yep. Yeah. I got to go uh, play chaperone, have a little Jack Russell Terrier, you know, so take them out early morning or right in the cusp of dark. Uh, I always, I always got to walk with them because yeah. essentially <laughs> I had an e- uh, eagle freaking eyeballing them earlier this year. Um, but I believe it. I have a, well, he, he knows though. It's funny. Like for as kind of dumb as he is, he knows that once the sun sets, you know, he's, he's not top dog. No, you know what I mean? No. He won't get up the freaking stoop, but middle of the day, he'll go out and do his work, you know? Uh, but he knows not to kind of mess with the critters at night, you know, cause uh, they have the upper hand. But. I got a small pup in this last summer, a barred owl dropped down right next to her. Oh, no way. Yep. And I was like, holy crap, that bird's trying to pick you off. And come here, and the, you know, shoot him off. But it was a pretty ballsy owl to yeah. do that. I was like, and I'm standing right there. Right. That's crazy. With a flashlight. But um, yeah, I, that, you know, that's, I'm glad you brought up the Jack Russell. So is this the same dog? So when I reached out to you, I saw you, I still had your number from back in the day. You used to do 
uh, blood trailing. Yeah. So yeah. this is why I get back to the man of the most interesting man because you do yeah. all these cool things. So you do you still do it? Do you? Still I do. Yeah. So I just took my I took myself off the list uh, like the New Hampshire fishing game list last year. Yeah. You know, you go get your license and you have an option of saying you know you want your name on the list or not. Um, I had a pretty busy year last year, you know, and, and so I decided just to kind of do it for friends and family and myself, you know. Um, now you're Jack Russell gonna, can track deer. Yeah, he can. Yeah. Um, so I kind of learned about it through uh, having, you know, a wounded buck myself. You know, I had a, I called a dog for the first time. I never used a dog before and I was blown away mm. at uh, how well this dog worked. I mean, it was unbelievable. And I'm like, this is crazy crazy what a game changer this is you know and i found out all right well you could literally literally anyone can go do this you know you just have to do the proper paperwork you know what i mean and and it's instant dog's dna to do that naturally yeah. right it's really not that hard for him you know it's the hard part is getting to really know your dog and you know because every dog's different you know and so it's really reading your dog well you know and um and knowing kind of how deer act and you know, when they're hit and wounded and, and, um, and putting in the time, um, I, it's a lot of fun. I mean, like my first track I ever did for someone, uh, you know, we found the deer and the guy was so elated, you know, he chalked yeah. it up to like, this is an absolute last resort. I'm sure it's not dead. You know, we end up finding it and here we are like five, six years later, you know, I think we probably found close to like 30 deer for people, you know, That's and he awesome. found deer for me that I never would have found in a million years, you know? Um, sometimes he makes an absolute fool of me, you know, <laughs> just straight embarrassing. And I'm like, <laughs> I was right there. Yeah, yeah. Or like, you know, he'll just go off and just be doing his own thing. But it's also hard to tell, right? Because like, essentially when you need a dog, you don't have any blood, right? You right. lost blood. So half the time, you're just trusting in the dog that he's on the right spot. And once in a while, you'll get an indicator like, all right, we have been good last 100, 200 yards. He was on the deer, his spot of blood. You know what I mean? Um, but uh, yeah, so it's, you know, sometimes you're like, Dude, are you doing the right thing yeah, right yeah. now? Or are you acting like an idiot? You know, like <laughs> I just don't know. But you just got to you got to trust in the dog, you know, and I've learned my lesson so many times. Just trust the dog. You know, he knows what he's doing. For the most part. For the most part. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to, to doing some more tracking. It's just as fun as hunting for me. That, that's, so that's that's what I've heard, it right? Is. It's yeah. a, folks that do it, like it's just watching, like you've, you've already been saying, that watching the dog work, but it's it's a hunt in and of itself, truly. It is, yeah. And you get to touch that animal twice, more or less. Right, right. And uh, dude, it's, it, it really makes me wonder how many deer are hit and dead out there that hunters just either a don't have the experience you know to to successfully track them yeah. or b they're not giving it full effort or you know the most probable is really they just you know they're tough as hell you know they'll go they'll hit they'll, they clawed up they end up dying somewhere else um but uh you know i think that there needs to be more dog trackers out there and i don't know why there isn't you know i think obviously you know people have you know work um they talk about a lost art but yeah exactly that is a lost art and it's i i mean they're so they're so good at what they do that it's just like dude this just needs to be like a more accepted thing i obviously it is accepted but like almost through new hampshire game fishing game it's like i think it's a geographical like, thing too though right because down south 
there's more working dogs. People have dogs for a purpose, coon hunting, tracking, waterfowl, whatever it is. Like they're pets, but they're also working animals. And some are just strictly working animals. You would never see that around here. Maybe a little bit up north where it's more culturally acceptable, but down here, right. no way in hell. No yeah. way in hell are you going to see a bunch of beagles sleeping in, you know, 55-gallon drums with hay. It just right. wouldn't happen. Right. Because everyone would be calling the police and SPCA and this person's an abuser. Like, no, you should educate yourself. So I think there's some of that societal pressure too. And then this, it's kind of aged itself out. People just don't know about it. Like, mm-hmm. it's one of those things, if you know, you know. You know about it because you were motivated to do it for yourself and then understood the the stuff that came with it. But I think you're right. I think more people just don't know and they're ignorant to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen some other people pick up the, the, the lead, if you will, um, and, and train their dogs. And I'm, I want to do it with my dog uh, for selfish reasons as well. Just to have that good backup. You should. you should, man. It's so simple, right? Like literally get your dog registered with the town. If it's not, um, and you pay literally $50 to New Hampshire, you know, fishing game. How long did it take you to train your dog? Um, about a year. Yeah. But like I say, it's built really right into right. their DNA. All they need is kind of, you know, kind of one or two good tracks, you know. Um, once you get your license, you know, take them out on a, on a deer you know that you can find. You know what I mean? Get him excited on that. And he'll love it you know and he'll he'll pick it up quick oh folks will go to like uh butchers and, and get hides or get some of the mm-hmm. the blood i used to drag around like deer legs yeah. um, deer hide and stuff like that and it's it, it's kind of tough right because half the time he's tracking your boot prints you know what i mean yeah. so i'll try different techniques we all kick it out on a pole ride my you know ride you know my bicycle you know drag it through the woods you know let it sit there for a little bit um, I don't train with him anymore because I feel like he just kind of, you know, he definitely knows what he's doing. Sure. Right? When I say like, you want to go track, like my dog will lose it. We'll <laughs> run around in circles, awesome. especially when I get his little vest and his harness. Yeah. You know, time he, to work. I mean, he loves it, you know? Um, so he knows what he's doing. Um, so I, mean, I don't think it would be that hard in, in all reality. Yeah. You know, to, Maybe I'm going to be motivated to go do something. I got yeah. this little little girl that I want. She's got a nose and she's got an energy. She's got like part cattle dog in her. So all she wants to do is move. I'm like, I got to put you to work somehow. Money. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. Yeah, you yeah. should. I'm going to do it. Yeah. I got a couple acres over in Lee I can play around on. Yeah. That's so. awesome. Well, uh, we're, we're hitting the hour mark and I don't want to take up more of your day. I really appreciate you having us in. Yeah, I'm sure there's plenty more to talk about. Uh, anything you want to tell our audience where they can find you socially, if you want to follow uh, Scotty and his his adventures or any of your partners or anybody you want to. Yeah. Um, yeah. Big shout out to Forlo, um, lacrosse and, and six hour. Um, but yeah, if you guys want to follow my adventures and what I'm up to, uh, you can follow me on Instagram. I pretty much do all my stuff there. So it's at Scotty Lego, S-C-O-T-T-Y-L-A-G-O. Uh, is my handle just my name simple yeah. as that and um yeah hopefully i'll produce some cool fun stuff for you guys to watch and um and educational as well so let's link up on there and and uh, i'm pretty good at getting back to the majority of the people who who write me so if you guys have any questions or just want to reach out um i'm friendly i don't bite so yeah. <laughs> very good um good luck this turkey season do keep hey, us posted on, too, on how it goes yeah. and um 
hell, maybe maybe if the time allows, we can we can link up as well and go explore some uh, some main woods unexplored. But uh, let's do it. Scotty, thanks for having me in. Yeah. And uh, we'll look at New Zealand as well. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) All right, brother. Thank you. All right. Cheers. Thanks again to Scotty Lago for having us out to his place. And and again, really, really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, Fun perspective, great energy, and and look forward to uh, continuing to follow along with his adventures and what he's got going on in his world because uh, it's it's like a it's a new energy. It's a fun energy. And uh, I I appreciate what he brings to to our hunting community. So tip of the cat to Scotty. Great work. Keep up the good work. And uh, heck, maybe we'll. We'll find a way to hunt uh, Middle Earth together someday. Uh, we're, we're like I've been saying for a couple of weeks, guys, we're in it. We are definitely in the throes of, of spring turkey season 2022. So, you know, what better time than uh, to come together? Healthy Yelp. Renew that membership. If you're new to the audience, sign up for an NWTF membership. If you are one of 3.1 million turkey hunters in the land. You should have an NWTF membership. I mean that. Uh, so great time uh, to to do that now. And I would challenge everybody, you know, if you're renewing, bring a new friend to the fold. Anybody. If you're mentor hunting, I make it a practice. This is just for me. But uh, if I mentor somebody uh, in, a, in a spring, I buy them as a gift, uh, NWTF membership. I think that's a great, great policy, great practice uh, for all of us who, who, who mentor, who bring new hunters in. Every spring, because, you know, uh, this program, uh, the website, just the the catalog of resources and our partners, man, it's it is so much information that a new hunter uh, can tap into great member benefits. So, uh, again, guys, consider doing that. Make that a part of your mentorship is adding that thirty five dollar adult membership. And, you know, you are you're helping the Yelp. There's so much going on across this great land with uh, good works happening and trying to, you know, solve some problems. Power those thirty five dollars. It goes to that. So eighty six on every dollar, eighty six cents on every dollar uh, goes into our mission delivery, that's huge. And you guys are a part of that. So thank you for that. Continued success out there. Be safe. If you are chasing the season, uh, the northern states, we're getting ready. We're so close. We're so very close. By the time our next episode drops, um, we'll be in it. So uh, safe travels, safe shooting, represent our, our, each other well out there. Take care of each other. Love each other. We'll see you soon. Thanks so much. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. Picture this, the sky full of birds, a good dog by your blind, and the pinnacle of reliability in your hands. When the entire experience relies on the moment that trigger is pulled, your shotgun better be nothing less than perfect. Benelli's Super Black Eagle 3. Dominate the skies. This is Jason Hart, co-founder of Nomad Outdoor, and I'm here to welcome you to the Turkey Call All Access Podcast, hosted by my good buddy, Fred Bird. 
At Nomad, we're constantly innovating to keep you more effective in the field. Check out our new 2022 Nomad Turkey products, including our innovative Bull Lounger Turkey Vest, our new mesh-like pant, and our Bino Harness System designed with a turkey hunter in mind. Also, for you whitetail, waterfowl, and western big game hunters, keep a lookout for new products coming later this summer by Nomad. Nomad, gear that hunts.